Grab your pens, grab your notes out. Last week we started a quick little series on really what the four things that we do as a church are and why we do them. And today I'm piggybacking on that series just to kind of take you to another level with, write this down if you're a note taker, this morning's message is entitled, The Next Step. Today's message is entitled, The Next Step. Say the next step. You take one step and most of us have stopped there and God, His plan is never that you just take one step. There's a progression of steps that He wants you to take. Now, salvation is wonderful, and I love amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Why do we like grace so much? I'll tell you why, because it's free. How many like free? Free 99 is my favorite price. (laughs) Ephesians 2, 8, 9, not in your notes, it says, for by grace, somebody shout grace. Grace. Come on, say it like you're thankful, grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. Watch this. It is a gift of God and not by works so nobody can brag about it. There will be no suspenders in heaven. First of all, they're tacky. (laughs) Secondly, there will be nobody putting their thumbs under their suspenders saying, I got here because I was such a good person. Nope. Every single one of us will drop to our knees in light of our Savior and say, if it had not been for the grace of God, we would not have made it. Come on. Is there anybody thankful for the grace of Jesus Christ in this place? Come on. Clap your hands like you're thankful for grace. It's unmerited favor. It's given to you for free. It's a gift. I like gifts, but you've got to receive it and open it. There will not be ever, ever, ever an unopened gift at my house on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. We're opening everything. My my girls open all the presents, and then they they look at you like, is there anything else you want to give us? Like, that's the type of anticipation we should have when it comes to opening the grace of God. The grace of God is so powerful. It's it's giving you something you don't deserve and you can't repay. You You couldn't pay for it yourself. If you could, we didn't need Jesus. So by grace, you have been saved. It's not of works. I fear that we live in a culture that we are striving to work our way into God's good graces. We feel like if if I work hard enough, if I pray enough, if I give enough, if I'm a good person, God will somehow like me. And I'm just telling you that's not the Bible at all. You saw it right here in Scripture. You're not saved by what you do. You're saved by what Jesus has already done. He done did it all, everybody. He's accomplished it all. And now he gives you a free gift. And this, this is against or, or is contrary to every other world religion in the world because every other world religion is based on you doing enough good deeds to somehow please a false deity. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, I see your dilemma. There is a sin problem that you don't have the answer to. Let me step in and pay it for you. Let me say it this way. My daughters and I and my wife, we went to Lake Tahoe a couple years ago. And my, go- my daughters wanted to go bike riding. Anybody like bike riding? A couple of you? It's such an out-of-shape church. Okay. <laughs> they were like, nah, just not me. Not for me, Sean. We went bike riding, and I, didn't, I don't know much about bikes, but they're like, Dad, let's go rent some bikes. So we go over to the bike rental place. I'm trying to act like I know what I'm doing, like kicking the tires of the bikes, like, hmm, good spokes. You know, <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I know I can't ride a bike because I just had my appendix out at the time. So I can't do this you know, all day or even for an hour. So my girls are begging to go. And I'm like, girls, I, you know, I can't go. Like, you're going to have to go without me. And the guy, 
he's a salesman. He says, no works. I have an electric bike for you. I said, tell me more about this electric bicycle that you speak of. He says, it's easy. There's no pedaling required. You simply jump on and go. 25 miles an hour, ladies and gentlemen. So my daughters agreed. I jumped on. We all leave the bike rental place. And I'm, I'm gone. I'm like, nee. 25 miles an hour. I'm driving down the road. I turn around and my girls are nowhere to be found. I, I'm waiting there. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a few minutes, literally a few minutes. I'm on my phone checking email. Finally, my daughters come huffing and puffing over a hill. And they're like, Dad, what are you doing? Wait up. And I'm like, okay, come on. They, they come behind me. As soon as they reach where I am, I take off again. And I had a great time. I love bike riding. My daughters hated it. They're like, that was the worst. They're huffing, puffing, sweating, working, pedaling, all of that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's like how many of us approach God. We feel like we have to work our way in and we're huffing and puffing trying to achieve some type of level of righteousness on our own. I'm just telling you, you are incapable of ever reaching God's perfection. That's why Jesus came to meet us. Now, by grace, he says, jump on the electric bike and just go. I provided everything for you. You don't have to work for this because it's a free gift. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. <laughs> And the reason I take that moment to intro the message like that is because what we're talking about today is baptism, and many people confuse baptism with salvation. They feel like maybe if I get baptized, I'll be saved, and that's, that's a work. That's you doing something, and faith by grace is how we're saved. So, so I want to I set the scene in proper context so we're not misled. Does that make sense, everybody? All right, Paul comes along, and he writes in Romans chapter 6, which Paul was a Christian hater. And he turned Christian because he had an encounter with Jesus. I love the fact that no matter what your background is, you're still welcome to the party. <laughs> Jesus Christ welcomes us, changes our life, and uses us to reach others. Paul would go on to preach the gospel and give his life to reach nations. And we're reading his letters today for encouragement. Romans chapter 6 verse 1 says, Hey, what shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace can increase? Because we're saved by grace, right? Like, Hey, grace, 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 we can sin all we want. God's just going to cover it all. He says, by no means. That doesn't even make sense. Don't twist grace and take grace for granted. He's trying to explain we are those who have died to sin. When we come to Jesus, we died our old life. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized, say baptized, into Christ Jesus were baptized, say baptized, into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism, say baptism into death, that in order, as just as Jesus Christ was raised, say raised, from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a, shout it out, new life. That's the goal. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in the res resurrection like his. Verse 6 says, for we know that our old self, our old self, the old you, the old me, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Like that is the goal. Not that we carry our old sinful life with us forever, but Jesus wants to free us that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Is there anybody grateful for that verse? <laughs> Baptism is a great word. The Greek word is baptismo. It means submersion. So when we baptize here, we don't sprinkle because that's not the word. 
Quite frankly, it would be a lot easier. We wouldn't have to fill up tanks and fill up water and filter, filtration systems and all that stuff. It's just a quick boom, and you'd be good. But that's not the Greek word. That's not the word that the Bible describes. Baptism is this. Paul is describing, he says, listen, it's a picture. It's a picture of you being buried with Christ. Jesus died on a cross, and then he was buried in a grave, and he rose from the dead. When you unite, you, when you unite your life with Christ, it's like you're going down into a watery grave. Now, we've never lost a person and left them there in the water. We always bring them out, and that represents your old life being washed away and you being raised to a new life in Jesus. My daughters are so cute, and I baptized them when they were about six years old, twins. The next baptism, we're on our way to the baptism, and the girls had so much fun with baptism, one of them says, I want to be baptized again. <laughs> to which the other twin says, no, you might get your sins back. <laughs> like that. They just thought the sins were floating in the water, right? You got washed of sins, which would make it really bad for the last person getting baptized. That's cute. I don't care what you say. So baptism is a picture. You've heard it said that a picture is worth a thousand words. Social media was popular, but it blew up when you could not just put text down, but you could now put pictures down. How many respond through text messages now with emojis and little, little video clips to express emo like emotion? My daughters and I, we know when we text, we hardly say anything. We just send a bunch of video text messages of like pictures and videos because a, a picture really is worth a thousand words. Paul is giving us what Jesus laid out as a picture. Baptism doesn't save you. It's a picture of an inward decision of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago to free us so that we can be buried, our old life buried, and raised to a new life in Jesus. If you're getting it, say yes. It's a beautiful picture. And it's, and it's interesting because it's such a simple step. Isn't it crazy, though, how many of the most uh, powerful experiences in our life happen by an unexpected simple step? You look at David and Goliath. David, he was just bringing grilled cheese sandwiches to his brothers on the battlefield, obeying his dad to run an errand, and he became the hero of a nation. Unexpected, simple step. Then you have people like, like Peter and his boys are fishing one day, and Jesus rolls up. He's like, hey, how's fishing? They're like, it stinks. We've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. And Jesus is like, hey, I got a great idea. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. For some reason, they did it and caught so much fish, their nets began to break. And then Jesus says, hey, stop what you're doing. Follow me. And they do. Unexpected, but they would have no clue that they would go on to launch the greatest movement the world has ever known called the Church of Jesus Christ and would write portions of Scripture that we read 2,000 years later. Unexpected, but the greatest decision of their life. Diana never knew that when I asked her to marry me, it would be the best decision <laughs> of her life. <laughs> I'm teasing, of course. It's interesting, some of the most and great, best and greatest decisions of your life come in unexpected moments with simple steps. Today, I want to talk to you about the next step, and it is my high honor and my privilege to lead you today as your pastor into the next step for hundreds of you. That many of you have come in and you have not been prepared, 
But we have a team that has planned, prayed, and prepared for hundreds of you to take a step towards baptism. Where you came in dry, and you're going to leave wet. You came in not expecting to get baptized today, but trust me, by the end of this message, you're going to want to get baptized. Amen, everybody. We have to ask ourselves a few questions. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I suppose if I asked a thousand different people, there'd be a thousand different answers. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, in essence, it means that you follow him, that we do what he says. I'm afraid that many of us follow Jesus based out of convenience instead of conviction, where we follow Jesus when it's comfortable and not when, when Jesus gives you something to say that's inconvenient. We, we need to still take a step in that direction. It basically means you do what he says. How many are on social media? Anybody raise your hand at me? Social media? Okay, listen. Social media is taking the world by storm. And what's crazy about social media is that it's non-committal. You don't have to commit. You're not locked into any relationship. You can follow and unfollow. You can like, turn around two days later, unlike. Isn't that crazy? You could give a like and take it back. So you can follow somebody based on your mood. Like and unlike. Follow, unfollow. And unfortunately, we've taken that same social media mentality and attributed that to our relationship with God, where we follow him when it's fun and we unfollow when it's inconvenient. We like it when he says something that he, we're blessed in the city, we're blessed in the field, but we unlike when he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. I'm afraid that many of us follow Jesus like we do maybe the favorite celebrity, where you follow a celebrity. Come on, think about a celebrity you follow on social media, where you, you follow them from a distance, but you don't have a relationship with them. You know them, but you don't know them. You know about them. You know their eye color, their shoe size. You know what team they play for, what song they sing, but you don't, re you don't have relationship with them. You follow them from a distance, almost stalker-ish. Uh. <laughs> and you're following them, but you don't have relationship. You just check in every once in a while to see what's going on in their life. Is it possible that many of us follow God that way? We follow him from a distance where we check into church every once in a while. We'll kind of go on Facebook and see if somebody posts a Christian post and get a little nugget here and there. But we're following Jesus from a, from a distance where we don't really have relationship with him. Jesus Christ is not okay with that. He paid a high price so that the wall of separation could be broken down and we could be brought together and have relationship with Almighty God. There's an old song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. There is no turning back. Come on, clap your hands if that's your prayer today. Well, what would Jesus want from us? All of us, the crowd. I think, write this down, I think Jesus is telling us, step out from among the crowd. Step out from among the crowd. All through the scripture, we know that following the crowd leads to trouble, and the crowd is rarely right. Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus then called the crowd. Say the crowd. Yeah. Called the crowd to him along with his disciples. So the crowd is there and his disciples. It says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So Jesus went to a literal cross, and now he's turning around and saying, listen, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die to yourself. Not literally, but like to your old life, to the old ways. Because I'm going to buy your life, Jesus says, to set you free. So you're not going to be the same. 
If you want to follow Jesus, pick up your cross. We die to ourselves and we follow him. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Makes, doesn't make sense again at first glance. You're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? Lose life, save life? Well, if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it at the end. But Jesus says, why don't you give it to me and I'll give you real life. Verse 36, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Like, who cares if I give you a billion dollars to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge? It wouldn't make any difference because you're about to lose your life. Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? The answer is nothing. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. See, all of us are, are somewhere on the journey and my job as a pastor is to help you understand what that looks like, to help you understand next steps. And my goal really for you over the last couple of weeks is to identify where you are in the progression of steps and just take the next one. Don't worry and overwhelm yourself with 17 steps. Like when you go to college, you don't think about every paper and every teacher and every class and every test. Oh, my goodness, there's so much to worry about. You just show up the first day and take the first step. My heart for you is not to get overwhelmed with everything that's going to go on in your Christian journey, but just take the next step. If you don't know God, we want to introduce you to Him so that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ and then be water baptized so that that identifies the picture of what God's done on the inside of your heart. We want you also, number two, to find freedom. To find freedom. Now, you don't do that on your own. Jesus said, not on your notes, James 5.16, through the pen of His half-brother, Confess your faults one to another and you will be healed. You want healing and freedom? That comes through relationship. Jesus offers that through relationship. And then we want you to discover purpose. Is that another class? Like, do I have to go to another class? No, it's not another class. It's a journey. Give us four weeks. Join the growth track. Starts the first Sunday of every month, 10 o'clock or 515. And you, either option will work for you. And we just want to help you discover what makes you unique because 87% of people that come to church have no clue what their spiritual gift is. So join the church. Go on the journey. There's 101 people that joined the church last week. Can we welcome all of them? And I'm expecting, I'm expecting this next month's growth track to be packed, man, because of so many people that have given their life to Jesus. Take the next step, the next step. But then don't stop there. We want you to do the ultimate thing, and that is to make a difference. Because you're a 10 in some area. God has wired you. I, how do you know I'm a 10? Because I know who made you. And God doesn't make junk. He's gifted you with something. You may not be good at everything, but you are good at something. And God has given you a gift of faith and leadership, and we want to help you discover that so you can make a difference. The people on our dream team are everybody who serves here. And I'm telling you, on a Sunday, we go home tired, but we lay down, our head down on a pillow and say, that's how you live a day, changing people's lives, making a difference for eternity. Come on, let's clap our hands for the dream team, everybody. So where are you in the progression? Just take the next step. Write this down. Come closer. Come closer. Don't follow Jesus from a distance. Come away from the crowd. Just come closer. Now, Peter is our, our character today that we're looking at, and he was a great guy. Hot-headed fisherman, had a hot mouth. I think he probably had peppermint socks because he was always having his foot in his mouth. He just, like, he's that guy that pops up all the time. Sometimes he got it right. A lot of times he got it wrong. He would deny Jesus thrice. That's old King James for three times. 
He denied Jesus three times. Now listen, Jesus told him when you're going to deny me, how you're going to deny me, and he still denied him. Now listen, if Jesus told you when you're going to blow it and how you're going to blow it, and you still blow it? How many know he probably felt like the biggest idiot? I'd have locked myself in my room, put duct tape over my mouth if Jesus told me that. So Jesus is there, and Luke chapter 2, 22 says this. The night that they seized Jesus in the garden, they're about to take him to the cross, the guards did this. The Bible goes on to say, then they seized him, they led him away, and took him into the house of the high priest. Read this next sentence out loud with me together. Peter followed at a distance. He wasn't as close as he should have been. He followed at a distance. Verse 55, and when some there kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, he had sat down together with, and Peter sat down with them. He no longer was following Jesus. He's sitting with a crowd. Interesting picture here because this is supposed to be the disciple of Jesus, one of the protégés, the interns. Three years he spent with Jesus and now he's not even close to him. Like Peter was close, but he didn't want to be too close because he knew close means cost. If I'm too close to you, it's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to give up something. And Peter's like, I'm with Jesus, but I'm not really with him. And he denies Jesus three times. People are like, hey, you with Jesus crew, aren't you? He's like, that ain't me. I'm pretty sure you were one of his followers. That's not me. A third time. He couldn't even tell a young girl in the shadows of the night that he knew Jesus. He starts cussing, swearing, blankety blank. I said, that's not me. And cock a doo doo. That's the rooster. I don't know if that's a chicken or a rooster. Sound like a chick. Everybody say, do your best rooster crow. Right? One, two, three. That was pretty good. The rest of y'all sound like mobbed cats. When he heard that, what do you think he felt? Probably the same thing that we all have felt when we have denied our Lord. The sinking feeling in our stomach. The shame that doesn't come from God. The devil brings shame. I hate that feeling, man. I hate it. When you've denied Christ and you know it. It's not like you did it on accident. You did it and you're like, oh, I blew it. I said that. I, I went there. I did that. And Peter felt like the biggest failure. And now he's following Jesus at a distance. And he takes his seat with the crowd. I feel like this is such a reflection of our lives. We look at Peter sitting with the crowd. Then we think back to what Jesus has done with our life. After everything God has done for us, he's forgiven us. He's given us hope and a future and given us everything that we need. And we're thankful for a second. And then our mood changes and we take our seat with the crowd. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, baptism moves you from sitting with the crowd to standing with Jesus Christ. That's what it does. It's a picture. And it's amazing because after this, thank God for second chances, which, by the way, one time I was preaching, I was like, hey, help me thank God for second chances. Everybody clapped. I was like, help me thank God for a third chance and fourth chance and a millionth chance. And everybody's clapping. Afterwards, this little 17-year-old girl came up to me. She was like, hey, great message. But every time, I have something to tell you. Every time Jesus forgives us, it's always a second chance because he forgot the last one. 
I was like, girl, you preach next Sunday. Is there anybody in the room that's thankful that God continues to give second chances every single time that we come to him? He is faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come on. He's an amazing savior. So he reconciles with Peter. You've heard of the last supper. This is the last breakfast. They're on the beach. He reconciles together over some fish. So seafood is spiritual. And he calls Peter back on mission. Jesus ascends into heaven. Peter's there in the upper room. And then on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then there's thousands of people out there that think they're drunk. And he stands up. He's like, hey, y'all, we ain't drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But let me tell you what is going on. This is a prophecy from the prophet Joel. He preaches his behind off and 3,000 people get saved. It's an amazing day. But my question is, what happened to punk Peter? Do you remember punk Peter? Couldn't even tell a young girl in the shadows of the night that he knew Jesus. This punk Peter now turns into powerful Peter. Punk Peter turns into prophetic Peter. Punk Peter turns into proclaiming Peter. He turns into the popping lock Peter. I don't know what else to say with peace. He does something so amazing that God transforms his life and uses him to declare the first sermon of the early church. At the end of a sermon, somebody raises his hand and says, Hey! Great sermon, by the way. Uh, what do we do? How many of that's a good question to ask anytime you hear, hear a sermon? What's the next step for us? Peter, watch this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, then Peter stood up. Where, what was his position the last time we saw him? Sitting down with the crowd, denying Jesus. Now we see him standing up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Which, by the way, God wants to take you out of the crowd, do something in your life so you can go back and touch the crowd and tell them about the love of an amazing Savior. (laughs) Fellow Jews, he says, all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. You can read Acts chapter 2, his entire sermon. And at the end, they say, what do we do? And Peter says... Repent and be baptized, watch this, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Somebody shout repent. Repent. Come on, point your bony prophetic finger at me and say repent. Repent. If you've ever grown up in church, sometimes we can look at that word as a harsh word. Like Maybe a preacher's preaching like, you need to repent. You're like, what did I do? Here's what repentance means. It's not a bad word. It simply means this. It means you turn around. You were going your way. You repent and go God's way. You turn around. That's all it means. So it's not a scary word. It's a helpful word. It's a directional word. I love telling this story. My wife and I, we were in San Francisco one time. And when when I was driving down the street, this guy... This crazy guy just started yelling at me. You ever been yelled at before by somebody on the street? He's just like, turn around. You turn around right now. And I'm like, OMG, Diana, there's a crazy person on the side of the road. Don't look over there. Gosh, San Francisco, come on. And then all of a sudden, what he was saying began to make sense. Because I was going down the wrong way 
down a one-way. I did my little 17-point turn in those tiny streets of San Francisco. I turned back around, and my whole view of this crazy person changed. No longer was he a crazy person yelling at me. He was my best friend. I rolled down my window. I was like, thanks, buddy. Keep it up. Keep America safe. I mean, everything changed. Because he was helping me, so I didn't crash. When you hear a preacher preach and say, repent, please don't view us as you repent. Turn around. You turn around right now. We're just trying to keep you from going down the wrong way. Come on. We don't want you to crash. God has an amazing life for you. And we want you to get there safely. So Peter says, repent and be what? Come on, look at the screen. Repent and be? That's like one motion. It's the next step. What do we do, Peter? You're preaching really good. Okay, if we accept Jesus, what do we, how do we do that? He says, repent, turn to Jesus, and be baptized, every single one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and your children's children, all who are far off, for all, all whom the Lord our God would call. Verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. If you accept God's message, you will be baptized. About 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. That day. You know, baptism is the most basic step. When a child is first born and they're about to take their first step, and mom and dad and grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles have their video cameras out waiting to post this on social media to see the miracle of the first step. They're waiting, and the little kid's like, <laughs> and they take that first step. I've never seen a parent push them down and say, okay, that's enough. Wait five years before you take the next one. It's a progression. It's, you're learning, but you're moving. You're being encouraged to take the next step. I don't know what it is in America, but we have taken the step of salvation, and we wait. Five years for baptism, 10 years, 15 years, and many of you have been in this position for so long because we refused to take another step. But today, ladies and gentlemen, many of you are going to take the next step to follow the Lord in water baptism. I'm telling you, let me give you three reasons why you should get water baptized today. Let me give you three reasons. Because listen, look at me, everybody. If we won't take the most simple step to obey the Lord and follow the Lord in baptism, what makes you think you're ever going to grow or do anything significant for him later? If, if we don't take the most simple step, number one, we want to do it to follow the example of Jesus. We want to do it to follow the example set by Jesus. Jesus was water baptized, and he didn't need to be. He was sinless. And, and water baptism represents your sin being washed away. And he said, listen, I don't need to be water baptized, but let me show you what I want. It doesn't save you. It's a symbol that you already are saved. So it's almost like the wedding ring of salvation. Have you heard that before? The wedding ring of salvation. Let me put it this way. Many of you that are wearing wedding rings, you're married, but that ring doesn't make you married. It's a symbol that you already are. Has anybody seen the 18-year-old girl working at the drugstore with a don't bother me ring? It's like 17 carats. Come on, talk back to me. It's the ring. They're trying to convince you, gentlemen, they don't want you to talk to them. They don't want your number. 
you are not their boot. <laughs> like, keep on moving, keep on moving. This is my don't bother me ring. Now listen, just because she wears the ring doesn't make her married. Married people, just because you wear the ring, that's just a symbol that you're married. It doesn't make you married. You take it off, you're still married. You put it on, you're st- it doesn't make you married. It's a symbol that you are. It's a picture. Does that make sense, yes or no? Salvation doesn't come through works. It comes by grace. So when you're baptized, you're just obeying the Lord in the next step. Baptism is not what saves you. You were saved the moment you confessed Jesus Christ to be your Lord. So baptism lets people know I'm in covenant relationship with Jesus. That's what a wedding ring does. It shows that you're in covenant relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul comes along and he says, listen, I'm, follow my example as I follow the example set by Jesus. If Jesus was baptized, listen, I'm getting baptized. Anything Jesus asked me to do, I want to do that because I know he has my best interest at mind. And Matthew 28 says, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and then start baptizing folks. I mean, literally, let this be something of value to you in the New Testament. Now, um, 1 John chapter 2 puts it a little, a little stronger. I'm going to caution you as I read this. Someone may say, hey, I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm on my way to heaven. I belong to Christ. Watch this. But if he doesn't do what Christ tells him to do, he is a liar, liar, and his pants are on fire. (laughs) Don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. God said, we can't claim that we're following Jesus if we're not following Jesus. When he lays something out for us that we don't really like, we do it anyway. Because he is our Lord, he is our master, and he has bought our life, and he has saved us from the slavery of sin. Now all we want to do is live for him, the one who has given us everything. Jesus said this. Let me put it in perspective. If you're having trouble with baptism, let me put it this way. Jesus said, I'll take the cross. You get water. Okay, Jesus, you'll go to the agony of the cross, and all you're asking me to go in is to get into some water? My answer is yes. Thank you for going to the literal cross to pay for my sin. So we want to follow the example set by Jesus. Number two, to demonstrate my changed life. To demonstrate my changed life. Some of you are like, well, I was baptized as a baby. Man, that was a great day. For your parents. You don't remember it. It had no significance to you. You don't remember that day. You were cute, and they poured a little water on your head. But here's the problem. The Bible doesn't say be baptized and repent. It says repent and be baptized. A little baby can't repent. So we don't baptize babies. We dedicate babies, and we baptize believers. That's how I believe we see in the New Testament all through Scripture And some of you are like, well, I'm not a member of the church. You don't have to be a member of the church to be baptized. It's just your commitment to Jesus. It's it's you stepping out and saying, I want people to know I'm following him. 1 Peter 3, verse 21. That, by the way, is what baptism pictures for us. Remember I said a picture is worth a thousand words. In baptism, we show that we have been saved from death and doom by the resurrection of Christ. Not because our bodies are washed clean by the water. Like that, that's not what saves you. 
but because in being baptized, we are turning to God and asking Him to cleanse our hearts from sin. If you've not, never been baptized as a result of your own personal decision as being adult after you've given your life to Jesus, I'm saying today, take the next step to be water baptized. Go from sitting with the crowd to standing with Jesus. I've been to Israel last year, and it changed my life. And I uh, had a businesswoman pay for my wife and I to go. As we were there, I got baptized in the Jordan River. And while we're there, one, one person tells me a story that back in Bible times, what they would do is they would, they would have two garments that they would wear in baptism. And when they would get baptized, they would take the outer garment off and let it float down the river, symbolizing their old life as being washed away. I need you to see that picture today. That God literally wants to wash away your past. Doesn't save you. It's a symbol that it has already taken place and it makes us grateful to God in Jesus' name that he has been able to do that in our life. Somebody say amen. amen. Number three, to declare my commitment publicly. Publicly. This is a public <clears throat> commitment. This is a big deal with God. Jesus says, I want you to follow me and not be ashamed of me. I want you to love me and not be ashamed of me. It's crazy because to the degree that Jesus went for us on the cross, he says, I want you to go to follow me, and, and I want you to do this publicly. That's why we don't do private baptisms. Now, the world will come to you and say, listen, you need to keep your faith private. Keep your faith private to yourself. So I'm not sure why I went Texas on you right there, but maybe that's what the world sounds like. I want you to keep your faith private. Don't talk about anybody to anybody at school. Don't talk about anybody, your friends. Just keep your faith to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what the world will say, but Jesus is not okay with that. Jesus said, I want you to be like a house set on a hill. I want your light to shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But God does not want us to be like, I'm just going to be baptized by myself. I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. No, let your light shine. Don't hide your light under a bush. Let it shine. Turn and tell somebody, let it shine. I have this little box in my garage. And every day when I leave the house, I put my wedding ring in the box, close the box, go out into the world and do my you know, work and business and all that. Because I don't want anybody to know that I'm married to Diana. And when I come home... I get the ring out of the box and put it back on and wear it just, you know, it's private. You know, marriage is something private. I just want it to be known in the house. Come on, how many know that's not true? If that were true, there would be wars and rumors of wars and weeping and gnashing of teeth in the Nepset household. No, Diana, Diana didn't want me to do that. I'm not ashamed to be married to my wife. Neither should she be ashamed to be in covenant relationship with Almighty God. Why would we be ashamed of somebody who died for us? I'm not ashamed of the American soldiers who's given their life for us in our country. And I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ who gave his life so I could be free from sin. Come on, is there anybody that's thankful today? We can be clean and washed from our past. Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, Jesus said, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Well, that's great. Verse 33, but whoever disowns me before others, I will also disown before my Father in heaven. It's a heavy verse, man. But it's very clear. Jesus does not want us to be private with this relationship. Okay, so what is the next step? What's the absolute next step? All right, here it is. Acts 2.41. Those who accepted the message were baptized. If you accept the message of Jesus, that's the next step. 
And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. How wonder can you shout the words that day out? Come on, everybody together. One, two, three. Come on, one, two, three. After they completed a 40-week membership class? Nope, it was... Come on, you got to be, be quicker than that. After they felt like they worked out all their issues? Nope, it was... After they called Aunt Gertrude from Minnesota to make sure she could be there at the next church baptism? No, it was... Ladies and gentlemen, I'm praying that that day becomes today for hundreds of you in the room. I'm believing that today is going to be the day that we go from sitting with the crowd to standing with Jesus, making our stance public to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God that unto salvation for all who believe. Come on. And why not today? Could it be that a dad says, I'm not perfect? but today I'm going to be an example to my family. Could it be that a mom says I'm not perfect, but I'm going to be an example to my family? Could it be that whole families get baptized today and say, for as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That day can be today. I know what some of you are saying, but Sean, I'm not prepared. It's okay. As you take your seats, my friend Christian's going to come out here. Give Christian a hand. Christian's a Christian. We have hundreds of dream teamers who have helped plan, pray for, and prepare for this day to help you take the next step. You say, Sean, I don't have a towel. No problem. We got you. If you get baptized today, you're going to leave out these doors and go to the patio. We have three tanks. They have filtration systems, so they're as clean as they are now as they were the first service. And these people are so precious. They've done everything possible to help you in this journey of taking the next step. You say, Sean, I don't have a towel. It's okay. We got towels for you. I don't have a shirt. No problem. We have a shirt that says, I have decided in all shapes and sizes. I don't have shorts. No problem. We got shorts in every size. These are small, but we got bigger ones. We have boxers. We have underwear. We have unmentionables for women, which we're not going to mention because they're unmentionables. Makeup remover. We have a bag. If you come in, you're going to get a bag. Put all your valuables in, and it'll never leave you. You just kind of hold them all, and when you get baptized, you give it to one person. As soon as you get out of the water, they give it back to you. No problem. This is your bag forever. We have uh, more chonchones. We have uh, brushes. We have hair dryers. We have flip-flops. We have mousse. We have Q-tips, we have hair ties, we have gel, we have a lotion in case you get ashy. We have mousse and deodorant. We have photographers out there to take your picture and send it to everybody who wasn't here today. Come on, no more excuses. Let today be that day where you move from standing with the crowd to standing with Jesus Christ. Hundreds of you are about to take a step and you're going to see a picture that's worth a thousand words of what Jesus Christ has done on the inside of your life to raise you to a new life. Your old life will be buried with Christ and you'll step out of that water saying, God, thank you. Thank you for giving me a new life in you. I don't know what else we can do. Even after preaching messages like this, we always have a couple of people that say, but Sean, I'm not ready. 
what does that even mean? You have believed a lie from the devil that has put a lie into your mind that you think that you have to somehow adhere to a certain level of righteousness and get there on your own, fix all your issues before you can take that step. Can let me ask you a question. Did you, did you approach God in salvation that same way? Absolutely not. You said, I come just as I am. I place you as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, it is by grace we have been saved through faith. After he, sa he saves your life, you give your life to Jesus, the very next step is water baptism. It may not be important to you. It's really important to him. 27 times in the New Testament, we see the words baptism. We see examples. Every single one, everyone, without exception, was spontaneous and immediate. It was not get saved and wait 15 years. It was not get saved and get your act together. It was get saved, get water baptized, same day, same moment. And I'm here encouraging you today. We have done everything possible to remove every barrier, every excuse. Today, the only prerequisite for, for baptism is salvation. Have you given your life to Jesus? Great. The next step is to obey him in baptism.